0: Today, we are going to pick up in Ephesians 2, Um, and what I want to do is we are going to read the whole chapter just for context, but just focus on a couple of verses, and before I get into the verses that we're going to focus on, I don't want anybody freaking out because it's going to seem like I'm coming in hot, (laughs) and um, we're going to really zoom in on um, the before. Before. Okay, so Paul paints this picture of both the... Because the church at Ephesus is both Jews and Gentiles, right? And he's trying to, cre- to push them towards unity and, and being courageous in their unity. How many of you guys know that um, being in unity and doing life just with family members is tough, right? <laughs> I, I have probably um, stepped on everybody's toes in the office at one time or another, like we've just, right? That's what it is. We are messy human beings, and we're going to step on each other's toes occasionally, but even at that, God's like, I need you to live together as a cohesive whole, so this is kind of what Paul's pushing in Ephesians 2, this idea of courageous unity, all right, and unity through being courageous, because as we know, there's no lone ranger's in the body of Christ. You can be a lone ranger, but you will get chewed up and spit out. And God says to be together, to come together, don't forsake the gathering. All right, so let's go ahead. First of all, too, can we bring up the picture of the uh, Ephesus, the two pictures? So Pastor, Pastor Jones last week was kind of giving some background info from Acts 19, right, about Ephesus, and Ephesus was this port city. It was huge. You guys probably can't see a whole lot of it, sorry. But you can imagine, just giant, huge amphitheater. Um, they had the premier temple that was called the, the Temple of Artemis, all right? Artemis was like the patron saint over all of Ephesus. Um, they had a lot of like occult stuff, you know, and mysticism and Gnosticism and this cult of uh, Artemis. And in comes Paul, right? There's a lot of money coming in and out of this city. It's very metropolitan. And like Pastor Jones said, it was like the gateway to the, the Roman Empire. And people would land at Ephesus and be wowed by it. There was just buildings. There was like plumbing and suet. Like it was all in public baths and restaurants and all these different things. And people were just wowed by it, right? And Paul comes along and he sets up this church in the city of Ephesus, which is huge. Huge, huge, huge. Um, The book of Ephesus 2 was Paul's last thing that he wrote, his last letter. And in it is like it's kind of considered his magnum opus, his his greatest piece that he has ever written. Okay? So um, We're going to go ahead. We're going to read the whole thing, but then we're going to circle back. So nobody panic if you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so huge. You guys don't have lunch plans, do you? Because we're going to. All right. Um, I'm also, so if my, I'm reading from the Holman Study Bible. So if our versions are different, nobody freak out. And if it's different from what's on the screen, it's okay. It's all right. All right. So Paul picks up in uh, chapter 2 he says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature were children under wrath as the others were also, verse 4. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. Wow, Wow, indeed. (laughs) By grace you are saved, verse 6. He also raised us up with him, Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's a mouthful. We'll, get, we'll break that down in a second. Verse 8, for by grace, you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift and not from work so that you can, no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. And then go to verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised. So in other words, the Jewish Christians were calling out the Gentile Christians and saying, you're not, you can't serve God because you haven't been circumcised. You, you're, you're, you're filthy rags in, 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 front of, in front of God. And Paul's saying, no, we're all filthy rags. This is where we came from, all right? Okay, um, verse 12, we'll pick it up from there. At that time, you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of heaven and foreigners to the covenants of the promise with no hope and without God in the world verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the messiah verse 14 for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh and you guys know what that refers to that's when the the giant the giant curtain just tore when Jesus resurrected. And God's like, there's neither, there's nobody, there's neither Greek nor Jew nor male nor female. Like, we're all together in the body of Christ. And it's cool that God's the one that tore the curtain. No human hands tore it. It was God, okay? All right. Uh, 15, he did away with the law of the commandments and regulations so that he might cre- create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the, hu- put the hostility to death by it. Verse 17, when Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you, who are far away and peace to those who were who were near verse 18 for through him we both have access by one spirit to the father verse 19 so that you who are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with the saints that, that idea of citizenship, like heavenly citizenship, would have resonated really deeply with this audience because they were, they were Roman citizens. And Roman citizenship, I think I've said before, maybe it was another in a Bible study, the blurry Bible study, but people would actually come from other parts of the world and become indentured servants so that they could become Roman citizens. Does that make sense? They would work their way to Romans. That's how much people wanted to be a Roman citizen. And so when Paul's talking about you're a citizen of heaven, but guess what? You don't have to, Gentiles, you don't have to being indentured, become indentured servants. This was crazy, crazy wild news for, for the whole, both the church. And it probably ticked off the Jewish people because they're like, hey, we're God's chosen people, we did synagogue, but God, you're, it's like the story of the prodigal son, right, with the older brother and the younger one, okay, so God's like, hey, guess what, I'm the one calling the shots, we've brought these people close, I brought the Gentiles close to me, the ones that accept me as Jesus, all right, okay, um, we're going to drop down to verse 20, uh, sorry, we're going to start 19, um, so then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Does this mean that the churches is, it, we worship apostles and prophets? No, but what God is saying is, this, this is our history, right? Everybody comes from somewhere. What's your history? Do you know your history? Because whatever your history is, you know, we, to, to, to know where we're gonna go, we have to appreciate where we've come from, okay? And so that's what Paul's talking about. He's like, there's a lot of people that lay down their life This is what this church is built on, okay? Uh, uh, Built on the foundation of the the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Verse 21, the whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit, amen? Amen. It's a good verse. Okay, we can go home now. That's it. We're good. All right. What I want to do, like I said, is we're going to kind of start out with some of the, I'm going to really zone in on the first couple of verses. And like I said, I don't want us to get discouraged, bless you, um, because it's going to show a contrast once we hit verse six, all right? And we're going to get it. All right. So also, Paul is trying to paint a picture to this Ephesian church of, like, before and after. How many of you guys have watched, like, those before and after shows that they used to have? Like, they get people that didn't know how to dress or whatever, right? Or they had something, like, cosmetically wrong with them, and they would get, you know, they were missing a bunch of teeth. They would get all these beautiful teeth, right? And you're like, wow, it looks like a different person. I I am totally... So my (laughs) Instagram account, I follow... um, theology stuff, possum stuff, possum rescue stuff, stray dog stuff, and then I love before and after stuff. Like, I follow all these accounts of people, like, that either, you know, like, makeup artists that do before and afters for women that have gone through cancer, you know, or or whatever. Like, but I love watching the before and the afters, because it's amazing, right? And so, Paul is trying to paint a before and after picture here. That's what's going on, so that's what I want us to get in our head. All right, so let's look at this word here in verse one. You, and you were dead. So I think when we read this stuff, right, um, verse one, chapter two, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? And we're like, okay, yeah, it sounds kind of flowery, and we're like, uh, but here's the deal. Paul, by this point, Ephesians is his most elegant work. It takes all of his other works and, and, and just compacts the theology of salvation and sanctification here. It's a great book. It's a great study. So we're going to look at this word dead when he talks about, and we were dead in our trespasses. When we think of dead, right, especially in today's culture, I think, we, there, it seems like the black and white, the stuff that's very black and white has gone away. It's all gray area, right? Um, but here when Paul's talking about the word dead, it is not like a mostly dead (laughs) from the princess bride. This is complete death. There's death. And in the Bible, the Bible talks about three different types of death. So there's, there's the actual real physical death, right? You die and you're no longer physically on the earth. Number two is a spiritual death, right? Which is what Adam and Eve initially encountered, in the Garden of Eden, right? Did you know that they were conditionally um, immortal, as long as they didn't eat from the tree in the, the good and evil, they were going to live forever with God in perfect fellowship. But they just just had to have a bite of that that fruit, right? And that they and then it says that they you know death entered in. They were they were no longer immortal, right? So there's that that kind of death, spiritual death, and then. There's another kind of death that's spoken out in the Bible where you, we die, right? And then our spirits either go to heaven or hell. But then after that, but wait, there's more. <laughs> um, you, there will be the great judgment day and it'll be decided where are going to You'll be judged for how we lived our life, right? And then it'll be for all eternity. Where do you get to go? Where do you go? Right? Now. Paul here is trying to paint a picture of just complete. There, this is. He's talking about the ultimate death here, right? And we see this, um, like I said, in Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve sin, right? And what do they? What do they? They realize that they are naked. Naked is we babies, <laughs> and they realize that they're naked. But it's not just that they don't have clothes on. They are fully cognizant of their sin that is making them naked. And remember, they try and get leaves and stitch them together and make clothing for themselves, and it doesn't cut it. It doesn't cover their nakedness. What has to happen? God has to kill an animal, or a couple animals probably, and make clothes from the animals to cover them. And that's symbolic of what Jesus has to do later, right? He has to die for our sins to cover us, to cover us, all right? All right, so there's nothing that Adam and Eve could have done to rectify the situation. They completely blew it, okay? And that's the idea here um, with this ultimate death that Paul's talking about. It's like if you have a car, car battery that's dead, right? Let's say you've left the lights on inside overnight, right? And you're trying to turn it over and crank it and crank it. It doesn't matter how many times you try and crank it, that car is going to stay dead because it doesn't have the juice that it needs to kick over. That's the idea. The only way it's going to kick over is if you get like a jump from somebody or AAA comes to help you. There's no way that car battery is going to kick over. That's the idea here, That that this word dead that Paul's talking about. There's no way we could get ourselves, make ourselves unalive. We are just dead. We need... We need Christ's resurrection power, all right? All right. Let's look at the word trespasses then in verse 1. So some Bibles might have trespasses, disobedience, or iniquities. Um, The idea here in the Greek is to willingly and knowingly step over the line, okay? So let let me illustrate this. So uh, a couple years back, we had nativity outside, right, and we built, like, people would enter in through these the pl- big plywood walkway, and then we had bleachers in the front that came right up to the walkway. Now, what we were doing with that walkway was we were bringing in the animals for the various scenes. So what I did, because I'm the safety person here, um, <laughs> make sure everything's safe, and um, I coned off, like, a front row of the bleachers because one animal in particular that we would bring in and out, his name was Abu, he'll be here this year at Nativity, Abu gets twitchy if anybody's behind him, and he'll kick. And so we are like, we don't want anybody to get hurt, we don't want any lawsuits, right? So I literally coned off this huge area, it was ugly, but it was ugly on purpose, because I wanted people not to sit there, I got a bunch of big traffic cones, and got caution tape, and put the caution tape up, And then something happened, I I had to run back uh, behind in the backstage just for a hot second, right? As people are filling in to the 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 outside theater. Well, when I come back, there's an entire family that is sat where the cones and the caution tape are. And so I'm like super sleep deprived, my back's hurting, and it's like, oh, I can't deal with this right now. But so I was like, be Jesus, be Jesus, be Jesus. So I said, oh, hi, guys, I'm sorry, you can't sit here. And they were like, it was a family, a big family. There was probably like six six people, six, seven people, you know, grandma and grandpa, the, the parents and the kids. And I was like, I'm sorry, you can't sit here. We, I had it, you know, we, we can't have anybody sit here because the animals It's for your safety. And they're like, oh, well, we, we didn't know. Dead face looking me in the eyes saying, oh, we didn't know. As grandma is actually sitting on a cone trying to get it off of like from where she sat on it, the kids are like tangled up in caution tape. And I just, I was like, I was like channeled, be Jesus, be Jesus to them. I was like, well, uh, that's why the cones and the caution tape were here. So I need you to leave. They're like, well, we didn't know. We didn't know. I'm like, you have to leave. You may not stay here. But it's that idea of sinning here, the trespasses. Like, were you willingly? You look at, like, remember as a kid, maybe, or when Sophie was a kid, and I was like, "You may not touch this hot bottle, right? Or hot pan. Don't touch it, right?" Sophia goes, "This, this one right here, right?" And you're like, "Yes, that's the one. That's the idea here behind trespasses, knowing and willfully." All right. Um, All right, let's look at the Greek word sin in verse 2 here, or at the end of verse 1. This idea here, so you were dead in trespasses and sins. We hear sin and we think, okay, somebody just blew it, right? All right, maybe you cheated on your taxes or you lied and you told somebody they looked good in a dress that they didn't look good in. Whatever, right? Okay, we have this like oversimplified idea of sin, but in the Greek, the word is hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. And it was used of archers or spearmen when they would try and like, you know, I'm just going to out myself here. I I like I like Game of Thrones. I fast forward it through the spicy stuff, but you know, like if you if you see Game of Thrones right and they're fighting, they're doing hand to hand combat, and they got the people with the spears and the archers, right? And these archers have amazing, amazing aim, right? They can do an arrow and it pokes somebody's eye out, right? And they're known for being super sharp. That's the complete opposite of the meaning here. No matter how many times you try and how many arrows you fire, you're going to miss the mark. That's the idea here uh, behind this word here, sin, okay? All right, now we're going to move on to verse two. I know, we're just at verse two. I hope you guys have no plans for the rest of the afternoon. (laughs) Um, okay, so verse 2, um, and it says, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the, atmosphere, the atmospheric domain. So, that, like, once again, and I'm not not dissing on our comprehension as English speakers and Westerners, but there's just, there's so much lost in translation because we look at the word walked, I think, and we're like, oh, yeah, what you do to get somewhere, right? Here's the meaning, though, and the idea here. In the Greek, it's this idea of just aimlessly going about. Right? That's that was me this morning when I got up. Right? I walked in such a way, or I was I was, bump, I was bumping into this, the walls. I was tripping over stuff. Right? I was like, should I get my coffee first? Should I go get dressed first? What do I? You're just aimless. You're aimless and bumping around. Um, the other meaning too is if you. ever... Um, Uh, let's see, it was, uh, what's the movie with the yellow brick road? Wizard of Oz, right? Okay, remember the weather vane in there is just spinning wildly? And it's, you know, weather vane's are supposed to point in a certain direction, but there's, in, in that Wizard of Oz, it's just spinning and spinning. Well, which direction? What does that mean? Where's the wind going? It's all, it's just spinning. It's spinning out of control. Think of leaves, right, when it gets windy, And a gust of wind comes by and picks up the leaves, right? And they, they get tossed here and they get tossed there. They have no direction. They're just carried by the wind. That's the idea behind this Greek word here, walked. Before we came to know Christ, we were just, we were tossed here and tossed there, right? Blown this way and blown that way. Okay, so Paul's like, before you came to Christ, we were hot messes. Do you guys get that? That's that's the idea. Now, hold on, because I'm not trying to spank anybody here and make you feel bad about yourself. It gets better. Just hold on. Just hold on. All right. So, when it talks about um, according to, let's see, according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain. All right. So, what you guys probably don't have in your Bible, which I didn't mind, was this word course. So, This is the New King James, uh, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. Once again, in the Greek, it's this Greek word called aeon, okay? And it refers to the mindset, customs, and practices of those who are estranged from God, okay? This is how we're walking. God's like, I need you to do this and be this. We're like, nope, we're going the opposite direction, okay? All right, now, let's go on to verse 3. We too all previously lived among them, this is like just people who aren't saved, in our fleshy desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And by nature we were children under wrath. What does this mean? I know a lot of times, um, and I... Like I said, and I'm not saying this to be like, oh, good job, Mako. I, I went to, um, my undergrad, I studied, um, was, went to a Christian college, and we had to take Bible classes every year, right? And then I graduated, and I did a master's in theology. And one of the things that always, I was like, God, what is going on? Why, the Old Testament, God seems like he's just pissed off all the time, am I right? He's like, smite them, and smite them, and Wipe them out and burn them, right? Everybody gets wiped out, right? God sent the flood, right? You're like, what's going on? But then in the New Testament, right? God in the New Testament is a God of love. So you're like, do you having a bad day, God? What's going on? What happened, right? Are we talking about two different gods? No, here's what we're dealing with. You need to come to the Blurry Bible Study, too, because we talk about that. Why did God command the Israelites to smite People, I'll give you a, a little little spoiler. They were they weren't they weren't human. They were giants. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna put that there. Just leave that there. Okay. All right. um, the idea though here is that you know we're by nature children of wrath. So remember in the Garden of Eden, right? What happens after they sin, Adam and Eve? Do they get to stay in the Garden? No. God's like, I'm gonna need you to move over here, please. And they can never go back to Eden. Why is that? Because Eden was God's holy place where it was like the bridge between heaven and earth. But God's a holy God, and He can't tolerate sin. It's not like He's like, ooh, I don't like the texture of that. Ooh, or that's ooh, got, that's got too much sour. I don't like that. Not like that. He's a holy God. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. The the wages of sin are death. That is what rightfully we we are due. Okay? And when it says we are uh, by nature children of wrath, that's what this is talking about. Everyone on this planet is born through original sin, into sin. Okay? Have you ever noticed... um, if you get, you know, and I know, and I know I, honestly, I know some people who are atheists who are, they act more godly than Christians, but I, I, I digress. But. So I'm not saying you can't be a good person, but you cannot redeem yourself. Because we are born into natural sin or original sin, okay? If you get a group of four toddlers and you put them in a room with only two balls to play with, right? If you give them enough time, that's going to end up in a <laughs> in a bloody brawl. Because at one point, they're going to be like, I want the ball. No, I want the ball, right? Kids can be great, too. Let me give you another story here. Um, so, th- I mean, I, there's just, there's sin nature. There's sin nature in us, right? So when Sophie was little, and I can say this because she's not here today, so. <laughs> so when she was little um, in preschool, the teacher she was in this class, she had had this teacher before, and it was this teacher's last year. And the teacher handpicked all the kids that she wanted to have in the class, right? Because she's like, this is my last year, I want it to be easy, right? Well, she picked Sophia, who up to this point had been a totally chill kid, right? Like, just chill and like, very, like a good kid, really good kid. Well, I get a phone call one day while I'm working here, and it's this, this teacher, she calls me and she's like, I need you to come down to the office because i got to talk to you about something. I said, uh-oh, okay, all right. So I go there and I, you know, I'm getting ready to pick up Sophia too. And I talk to this teacher and she's like, I've never seen this in Sophia before but she lost it today. I said, what? Because she, she's not a violent kid, right? She's very, she's very chill, very zen. I said, well, what happened? She goes, well, The kids were playing, you know, in the classroom. They had a little little free time. And Sophie was in the classroom with this other girl and then this little boy. And apparently, both my daughter and this other little girl had a crush on the same boy. (laughs) My daughter... My daughter decided that that was not okay. And so what she did was, this little girl's across... Across the table, there's four desks that are pushed together, right, with the seats out, and the little, other little girl sitting on this side, and she says, I like Tommy. Well, that was enough, and Tommy's going to be my boyfriend. Well, that was enough for my daughter to pop her lid, which she didn't do. That wasn't her nature. Mommy does it all the time, but not Sophia. And so she lunged across the desk, and she, she got in front of this girl's face, and she goes, Tommy's mine. He's mine. And so, I had talked to her about that. I was like, that, that's not okay. Obviously, like, we don't model that behavior at home. And I was like, where did this come from? We were really strict about, you know, who she hung out with and what she watched on TV. So, we were kind of baffled. Where is this coming from? It's sin nature. It's that sin nature that pops up. All right? All right. I know this is heavy stuff, but here's where it gets good. And I know we've only hit two verses. I hope you have nothing going on after church because we're going to keep going. Um, Okay, so we talk about all this stuff, right? And it's kind of dark and heavy, kind of like the room, right? But we get into verse 4, and let's see what verse 4 says. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great, what is it, wrath, obligation, his great love that he had for us made us alive with a Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. All right, kick the lights up. So here's the good news, right? It's like we were walking in darkness up to this point, and Jesus turns the lights up in the room, and he goes, but I got you. It's okay. I got you. And that's what we see. This is what Paul's writing. Okay, verse, in verse 4 it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love. All right? So, obviously, I think it's fascinating. God could have hit the reset button on humanity. Newsflash. Did you know that God created humans? This was after Satan fell and after a contingent of the, of the other heavenly angels fell? But God was like, I'm not going to hit the reset button. I love my human family. I'm going to work with them. I'm going to work it out. And that's what we see going on here. All right. Look at the word mercy here. Um, We look at it and we're like, okay, mercy, all right. I have mercy on somebody, right? So that means that what we were rightfully owed... For our trespasses, right? For living a sinful life that basically gave God the middle finger, right? What we should have gotten was wrath and judgment. What God does is He holds that back and says, "You're not going to be, I'm not, no." Instead, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put all that wrath and judgment on my son on the cross. That's what mercy is. Mercy is us not getting our due for what what we deserved. How many of you guys have ever gotten stopped for a parking ticket? Or no, speeding, speeding, speeding ticket, right? Okay, you don't have to raise hands. Oh, apparently I have a bunch of <laughs> great drivers in here. Okay, I used to get speeding tickets all the time. And um, I would try to, you know, a, a couple times it worked. where I was just, I talked to the cop and I was like, look, I'm sorry, I know. I'm late picking up my daughter and and instead of giving me the ticket the cop would be like all right i'm letting you off with of a warning drive slower yes okay okay and then you know the next couple days i'd drive like a bat out of hades but what would have been appropriate was if i gotten the ticket cuz i did the crime but instead the officer was kind and he's like i'm not going to give you that ticket even though you deserve it that's the idea here behind mercy okay now, let's look at this idea here of, of because of his great love, Right? Think about this. God was moved to intercede on our behalf, not because he had to or was forced to or was obligated to or he was trying to save face. He did it because of his love. He was moved by the love of a father, Um. When I was younger, I had really bad asthma. And I would spend, I missed so much school. I probably missed like three months of school a year because my asthma was so bad. I was in and out of the ER. This was back in the day when you had to go to the hospital for breathing treatment, right? And and I would get like a uh, a, a steroid shots to open up my lungs because I just couldn't breathe. And my mom was amazing she would come with me all the time. And so what would happen was I'd get the breathing treatment and I I would get the steroid shot and it would just hype me up and I'd be so wired, I could breathe, which is great, but I'd be so wired that I couldn't, I'd be up for like 16, 17, 18, 20, sometimes two days in a row, right? And my mom, as a mom now, I really appreciate what my mom did. She would stay up and we'd watch old kung fu movies together, right? And she stayed up with me. And never once was she like, ah, uh, you're such a burden. Ah, uh, do you know why I'm doing this? It was none of that. She just, she just would, would take me the yard, ER, stay with me. We'd go home. Sometimes we'd go to Denny's and we'd watch. And then we'd go home and we'd watch movies. And I just look back on that. And that's, that's the kind of love God has for us. He's like, I'm sticking with you come hell or high water, because I am your Father, and I love you. And I know for some of us, maybe that's hard to accept because we've maybe grown up with in a family, or we've had fathers that haven't been good to us like that. But guess what? You don't have to worry about that. Because God the Father loves you. And he's not built on and based on our relationship with our earthly fathers. Okay? Okay? All right, so now let's look at verse five real quick. I want us to notice, it says, um, well, here, we'll start with four. But God, who is abundant in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses, all right? So even when we were like, oh, God, do you know how many touch this bottle? This one right here, this one, this one? He was like, I am coming after you. I want you. I want you to be my kid. And it paints this like visual image that's reminiscent of what we see in the story of the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, the youngest son is like, I want to go live my life and I want I want God or, or I want father what is due to me, my inheritance. In that day and age when you said that to your to your father, You are saying, you are worth more to me dead than you are alive. I want you dead because I just want your money. And so in the the story of the prodigal son, right? The son takes his inheritance and he goes and he lives his wild lifestyle, right? He's sleeping with anything in his skirt. He's partying with all these people, ending up in all these horrible situations. He's, He's... at the end of it, he's run out of money, so he's taking care of pigs, which was the worst possible, one of the worst possible things you could do as a Jewish person because they were unclean animals. And so he begs this farmer, he's like, I need, I need something, some work to do so I can eat. And so this farmer's like, all right, fine, fine. So this son decides, after he's had enough with the pigs and he's blown through his money, he's going to go home. And he starts. He goes home, and he's covered in pig feces. He's disgusting. He probably has some kind of multiple STDs. Okay. And before he's even properly on his father's property, his father is watching him, waiting for him, and he embraces him. His father embraces him. He's not this. This, this uh, prodigal son's not cleaned up. He's probably, like I said, he's probably got pig. Pig poop stuck in his hair, in his ears, under his fingernails. He smells nasty. He's, he's disgusting. But the father runs out to meet him and embraces him. That's the idea here because of God's great love. And I think a lot of times we go through life maybe and we, we have been rolling around with the pigs, let's say. Right? Right? And we think, I there's no hope for me. I'm too dirty. I got, I, got, I got pig poop under my fingernails, and it's stuck in my hair. But God's like, I love you so much. I want you. You're mine. You're my child. All right. I, what I want us to notice in verse 5 here, this is where we turn the corner, right? And I want us to notice how many times it talks about together, 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 together. All right, let's go ahead and we'll skip to, so here's the deal. I painted that kind of like dark picture because, spoiler alert, here's the ending. Look in verse 6. He also raised us up with him and seated us, where? With him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we read that and we're like, that's a bunch of fluffy Christian language. But here's what it means. There is no greater place um, of honor than at the right hand of a king, any king. That is the seat of power is the right hand And Jesus says, I raised you up from being in the muck and mire, hanging out with pigs. You're at my right hand. You're seated with me. Now, the idea here in the Greek is this idea of it already happening and continuing. So I know it's weird because we're like, well, I'm here and I'm sitting here, right? But spiritually, we are seated next to God. And this isn't Christian-like hocus-pocus or mumbo-jumbo. This is how it is. And I think a lot of times we live our lives looking from here up when we should be saying we're seated with God in the heavenlies. We are kings and queens with Jesus. And I think when we do that and we do it together... There is so much power in that. Um, Pastor Michael last week talked about, you remember in Acts 19 what happened with the church in Ephesus? They got saved, right? Jews and Gentiles. And so because they did that, they burnt all their occult books and then they threw away all their little idols, right? And they stopped buying the little trinkets, the little idols. And that impacted the economy. You remember that? Can you imagine if we, it was because they were living from the inside out, and they were doing it together. I think you have to be living under a rock not to see how divided this country is, right? And people, they're, you know, like I said, this is why I stick to um, theology accounts and Possum rescue accounts, right? Animal rescue. Because there's so much strife. Everybody's so divided all the time. But God calls us as his church to come together. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to offend each other. But God is like, Get, guess what? You need to work it out. When my sister and I were little, She's four years younger. Everybody thinks she's older because she acts more mature and put together. <laughs> but when, when, um, when we were younger, we'd get into these horrible fights because I'd be like, you got, you got little sister cooties. Get away from me. I don't want you near me. Messing up my, my, my thing. And so we get into a fight, right? And my mom, after a while, instead of trying to talk us through it, she's like, all right, you know what you need to do? We had to do this thing called the backpack hug. <laughs> we'd have to hug each other, just full frontal contact. And I don't know about you, but when you get into a fight with somebody that you're like, your very presence makes me want to vomit. You do not want to be in a backpack hug with this person, right? So that's how I felt with my sister. And usually after about five minutes of us being like, ugh, I can't stand you, uh, uh, right? We'd start to thaw and melt away. And then after about five minutes, we were giggling and laughing and saying, I love you, sis, I'm sorry, I love you too. And it's this idea of togetherness. Okay, so let's go ahead, we're going to skip to the end here. Verse 19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members, to say of God's corporation, of his religion, no, it says household. That's because we are a family. When God says don't forsake the gathering, he's not he's not being a a a cosmic curmudgeon, being like I'm taking attendance. Because God knows, He made us, He knows how we're wired. We were meant to be in contact with one another and in fellowship. Um, I'm sure it this is not this this little That I'm gonna say is not like a surprise. There were so many people that were that went through rough, rough, rough mental and emotional times during COVID. When everything was locked down and we were all in our own little silos, right? There are studies that show, based on what happened during COVID, that our neuroplasticity, people's social skills. Were drastically cut back. That's not anecdotal. That's like measuring stuff. God knows how we're made. He made us to be in fellowship with one another. And I know it's weird because maybe you come from church hurt or whatever, or you've just been like, I have no context for church. I don't know. People are weird. (laughs) People are weird, and we're going to make mistakes. But there's nothing like, you know, with this broken leg thing here or the broken foot, Um, I'm two months, I have to wear a cast for two months, and I can't drive for two months, which if you know me, I like my independence, and I'm like, you know, and I'm usually the one that's picking up my daughter, like dropping her off to school, picking her up, and it's been super hard. My husband's been great, but I can't imagine doing this without our church family and our staff. In fact, when I broke my foot, it was on a Monday, of course I was running late, I was going out the door to get my daughter. And I fell off the last step and I broke my foot. And of course, I was like, I'm still going to go pick my daughter up. So I broke, I picked up my daughter with my broken foot. But by the time I picked her up, I got home. The pain was so bad, I think I was starting to go into shock a little bit. And so I called Janie, Pastor Janie. And I said, I need you just to take me because Josh was doing a wedding like in South Orange County. So there was no way he could help. So I called Janie, and I said, I need you to come pick me up and just take me to urgent care. And she, she's like, I said, you can just drop me off there. She's like, I'm not taking you to urgent care. I said, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. She goes, no. So she comes and picks me up. She goes, we're not going to urgent care. I made an appointment with her husband's foot doctor, who's broken a foot a couple times. <laughs> and she took me, and she drove me to urgent care, and she stayed with me. And I got the best care. She called ahead and she said, I'm bringing my friend in. Can you squeeze her in? I can't imagine going through this life without my church family. Amen. There have been so many times, you know, with the, the death of my mom, my dad dying, where we've just leaned, we've needed support. God knows what he means when he's like, I made you to be a family. You're part of my household and you fit together. And here's, here's, here's the great equalizer going back to what we studied in the beginning about how sinful we are in our trespasses. Nobody, this is, it's, it's like the great, it's the great evener, right? Nobody could have saved themselves. We all come from the same place and we all have been saved by grace and moved from being under wrath to being part of God's household and his family. So nobody gets the boast. Nobody gets the boast. And I just think that gives us such good hope. And I, I, my hope and my prayer if I can get the band to come up, is that we start to grasp that, first of all, we're not alone. We're not, we're not sinners trying to live like saints. We are part of God's heavenly family. And when we start living from the inside out, right, from living from together from a place of being seated with Christ, there's nothing that we can't do together. And look at look at what happened in Acts 19. This church at Ephesus changed the culture. They changed the, the 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 economy because they so believed in the message of the gospel. I want to read a quote to you guys from this book here. Um, it's called Spirit Bo- Spirit Wars by Chris Balaton, and I just I just love this. It is only when we learn to live from the inside out and not from the outside in that we are truly free to experience these seasons of being seated with Christ. The kingdom within us is more powerful than the kingdom around us. We are citizens of heaven and citizens of earth. The question is, do we live from earth toward heaven, or do we live from heaven toward earth? Earthly seating creates reactionary prayers. If we sit there long enough, we will wind up with a big devil and a little God. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to go ahead, grab a communion cup, If you're not comfortable taking communion, that's fine. There have been a couple Sundays where I, I had stuff going on, and I didn't feel right about taking communion, so no, no judgment. We always feel like this is an intelligence test, and I fail it, right? Thank. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. All right. So here's the good news as members of the body of christ and as members of the household of god we get to take this together this is the body of christ this moves us from being under this is our mercy right here this is our grace that god has given us Lord, we thank you for this, that you paid the ultimate price on the cross with your body, God. We eat it now, thankful and knowing that we are no longer children of wrath. And then we're gonna drink, we're gonna drink the blood of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. And I know that's weird to us, especially in our Western culture, right, where we get to. Blood's kind of gross and icky. But Jesus paid the ultimate price with his blood and his life on the cross. And by drinking this, we get to walk closer with Jesus. We're no longer, we don't have to think about walking in our trespasses and our sins. Because God's like, I've washed you clean, I paid the price. So together, I want us to drink this. Thank you, God, for your your blood that you spilt for us and for the redemption, Lord. All right, let's just sit before God and listen to this last song, and then I'll send y'all. this quote to you guys and send y'all I know that lots of us are going through tough stuff right I want to encourage you on two things though don't forsake the gathering Amen. come to church get plugged in here I know some people are more private than others you don't have to spill your guts but there is so much, there's such an incredible feeling of love that comes out when you know that you've got people that will drop everything to help you, bring you a meal when you need it, pick up your kid from school if you've broken your foot or whatever, or come meet you at the hospital with a, with a phone charger, right? So know that you're not alone. You are part of the family of God. Okay. And it's not this cheesy kumbaya stuff. This is stuff you can take to the bank. Okay? Number 2. I want us to remember that we are seated next to Jesus in heaven. And I know that's hard when we go through our day and we're maybe working a couple jobs and we're trying to put food on the table and we got to choose between paying the electricity bill and, and going grocery shopping or, or getting prescriptions and paying whatever, the gas bill. So I'm not, this is not like fluffy Christianity. This is the real stuff. We are seated in the heavenlies with God. So let our perspective be, God, I know my stuff is going on here is huge and it's weighing me down. And this seems like my reality, but my reality is I'm seated next to you in the heavenlies, God. So Lord, I just pray, God, for every person here that has this quote here that that our earthly seating, Lord, that we we don't we don't see from how we're seated down here. We are seated. We will remember that we're seated next to you, God. And that, that means that we're right next to your ear. And when we have stuff going on, we can just turn and say, God, I need your help in this area. Amen. Lord, I pray that none of us here would sit long enough in our earthly seat so that we end up with a big devil and a small God. You are Yahweh and you love us in your Father. And I pray this week, God, that you would just do two things in the lives of everybody. Lord, show up in their lives this week as their Father, their their Daddy, their Abba Father. And then I also pray, Lord, that there would be opportunity for them to connect with the body of Christ, Lord. That you would have divine appointments for every person in here that would encourage them, Lord, Lord, that they would see that we are, we, are, we are stronger together than isolated. That's what Satan does. He wants to isolate us. And I speak against that isolation. If anybody here is, is walking through a season of feeling isolated, I break that off in the name of Jesus Amen. and say no more. Amen. No more. God made us to be together. and You are never alone. You have the Holy Spirit. You have Jesus. You have the Trinity hanging out with you. So God, I just pray over every person here that you would go with them, let them know they are not alone. First of all, because of the Trinity, but also because you pull us together as your church. You're our cornerstone and you've built a living temple out of us, God. So go with us this week. Walk with us, Lord. Let us feel you. I pray for divine appointments, Lord, left and right. We love you, Jesus. Go before us in your name we pray, amen. Right you guys have a good week Hey everybody